Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. For the last five weeks, we've been talking about What would your life be like if you had 30 days to live? And we began by examining the only person who actually knew that he had 30 days to live and did it right, and that was Jesus. And we said that Jesus did five things. He lived passionately. He learned humbly. He lived vulnerably. He would leave boldly, but he lived to make an eternal difference. You say, Pastor, why do you keep wanting to remind us of what if we only had just a few days to live? Do you know I want to remind you? Because you are an eternal spiritual being. Say that. I'm an eternal spiritual being. Okay, that was like not good. Okay, I am an eternal spiritual being. Made in the image of God. But my life on earth is temporary. Pastor Joseph did a great job when he showed you this long rope. And on the end of the rope was a little small part that was colored. And he said, this is your life. And it went on and on and on. But this is the season that you have. You are having a temporary physical experience on earth. But the decisions you make determines your eternity. It determines your eternity. Everyone desires to know that their life has made a difference and that they've left a legacy. Someone said the tragedy is not that some people die. The tragedy is some people never lived. Harold Kushner, the great Jewish rabbi, said this, I am convinced that it's not the fear of death that haunts people in their sleep so much as the fear of, as far as the world is concerned, we might as well have never been born and lived. We all have watched our children when we go on vacation at the beach. And they'll get out there to the beach. Come on, all children do. And they build these little sandcastles. And they'll work and work and work and work and work. And because they're children, they don't know what you know, which is all of that work and all of that effort and all of that strain. When they go to bed tonight and wake up the next morning, when the tide comes in, what's going to happen? It's all going to be gone. Do you know there are very many people in our world that are living life that way? They're building their life on things that are temporary and things that are not eternal. And they don't realize that the moment they get near the end of their life, all that they've given their effort and energy to, it's going to be washed away, just like the sandcastle. The Apostle Paul writes to explain this, and he tells us there are two ways that we can build. One is temporary, and the other is eternal. Listen to what he says. God has given me the unique gifts as a skilled master builder who lays a good foundation, and afterwards, another craftsman comes to build on it. So builders, builders beware. Let every builder do his work carefully according to God's standards. For no one is empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists, which is Jesus Christ. Now remember, he's writing to Christians. 
This is not about whether you're going to heaven or hell. How many of you are born again? Raise your hand. Then heaven is now your home. Hell doesn't even want you. It won't let Christians in. The quality of the materials used by anyone building on this foundation will soon be made apparent. Whether it is built with gold and and costly stones or wood, hay, and straw. How will the work be evident? It will be evident because for the day will make it clear because it will be revealed by blazing fire and fire will test and prove the workmanship of each builder. If his work stands the test of fire, he will be rewarded. What is Paul telling us? That for every Christian one day, when you stand before Jesus, all of the works of your life are going to be laid out there. What you put your time, effort, energy in. And fire is going to test it. What does fire do to wood, hay, and straw? What does it do to gold, silver, and precious stones? It purifies it. And he says that we're going to be rewarded based upon that. I am building a legacy every moment of every day. I get to choose the material that I build with, whether it's gold, silver, and precious stones. Well, pastor, what is that? I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. Or whether it's wood, hay, and stubble. Some are temporary materials and the others are eternal. If I am going to leave a lasting legacy, if I'm going to really make an eternal difference, there are three materials that I can build with this gold, silver, and precious stones that stand the test of time. What are they? Let me give you the first one. It's called convictions. Say that with me. Convictions. Well, Pastor, what what are convictions? Convictions are the core values from God's word that are eternally true to every aspect of life they speak. Let, Let me translate that down. Whatever the Bible's perspective, direction, and opinion is, that's what's true and unchanging. Whatever the Bible says about sexuality, it's unchanging. Listen to me. I'm going to say this. My heart is broken. I prayed with more people and cried with more parents and walked with more people that are confused, whether they're living in immorality, whether they're confused about their sexual identity. Listen carefully to me. Do you know that people who live in immoral lifestyles have the highest suicide rates? Do you know why? Here's what people think. Well, the reason that people do that is, Pastor, because those people are ostracized and those people are, are, are just criticized. And so they, they, they do things to themselves because everyone is ugly to them. That's not true. 50 to 75% of all the public media is endorsing and cheerleading that lifestyle. But I want you to remember this. When you go against God's word, you don't break God's commandments. You break you. You were made by the word of God. You were made by the word of God. And when we do that, which is consistent and true to the word of God, a well-being comes to us. Look at me. When God made man, he breathed into the dust of the earth and he breathed. And when he did, man became a living soul. We were made by the breath of God. The scripture says all word is inspired. God's word is inspired. That means God breathed. You and I were made by the breath of God. This is the breath of God. And when I go against it, 
I go against the very thing that gives me breath. Did you hear what I'm saying? A lot of times people look at me and they go, Pastor, you're just saying that because you're a preacher. I want you to look right here. I'm saying that because my mother was a barmaid. I'm saying that because my sisters got pregnant 13, 14, and 15. I'm saying that because my daddy was married over five times, and that's not the women he was with. That's the women that he married. I'm saying that because my mama was married two times, and the man she married to my dad had been married seven times, and she divorced him, and he went to prison. I'm not saying that as somebody who's lived in church. I'm saying that as somebody who what I grew up with was against everything in this book, and I saw the ash heap of lives and havoc and guilt and shame and pain that it wreaked upon people's lives. And when I began to apply God's word to my life, that began to change everything and it began to put my life back together. I I, I spent a lot of time with people from the other side. I did an overdose fentanyl funeral yesterday for a 34-year-old. That's our 10th fentanyl overdose funeral. 10. I've been with the mamas and daddies and cried and and, and the teenagers and young people and young adults that aren't living God's way. There is a way to build that we can build that is a life of convictions to where you don't fall for everything, but you truly stand for something. G.K. Chesterton, the British philosopher, said, tolerance is the virtue of a man or a woman without convictions. Tolerance is a virtue of a man or woman without any convictions. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God, what? Trends change, styles change, culture changes, but God's word will never change. It didn't change a thousand years before you and I got here, and it won't change a thousand years afterwards. You can be changed by truth, but you can't change the truth. You can't change the truth. You say, Pastor, you feel really strongly about all that. Look at me. You better believe I do because people's life on earth and their eternity and the life to come depend on it. I remember an old story of a a man. You were given in Europe, if you were sentenced to hang in Great Britain, 40 days, they call 40 days of repentance. A man was sentenced to be hung for a murder and every day the minister went in and said, sir, In 39 days, you're going to die. Do you want to make peace with God? He said, no. Every day he came and every day he got the same answer. He's now walking on his way to where he's going to be hung for murder. And the pastor's right beside him. And he said, sir, you're about to die and meet God. Do you realize that you can ask God to forgive you and your eternity would be different? And the prisoner stopped and looked at him and said, you can't believe that's true. Because if you believe that's true, though there were broken glass all across England, you would crawl on your hands and knees to tell every single individual that was true. Convictions come from God's truth being applied to our lives. You see, 
The Bible was not written to inform you. It was written to transform you. And only biblical convictions will stand the test of time. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 7, 26, Jesus is again speaking. He says, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on and when the rain descended and the floods came, that's the problems of life, and the winds blew and beat on the house, it fell, and great was its fall. Now, let me give you an example. Okay, it's kind of an extreme example, but it's an example. Imagine if the elders of our church came to me. Tom Mendoza is one of our elders. and Imagine he pulled me aside afterwards, and he said, Pastor, he said, me and the elders have been talking, and he said, uh, Ever since Pastor Chris left and went to Youngsville, you're, you're unhealthy. When he was here, you used to be swollen and jacked up like him. <laughs> you were healthy. You were jogging. You were running. You were doing one-handed push-ups and various and sundry things only people on steroids do. <laughs> but Pastor, since, since he's gone, you, you've just kind of, like we're concerned about you. Your health is bad and you're not taking care of yourself. And, and Pastor, what we want to do is we want you to take off a year and just physically take care of yourself so you can live a long time and be our pastor. As a matter of fact, we got a book for you. Now, we want, to take, we want you to take off a year. We want you to read this book. We want you to apply it. And when you come back a year from now, here's what we want you to look like. Austin, when your daddy met me, that's what I look like. <laughs> so suppose I take off the entire year, okay? I come back and I look just like I look right now. And they go, Pastor, did, did, did you read the book? Did I read the book? I read the book. I studied the book. I outlined the book. I can teach the book in my sleep. But did you practice it? Oh, no, I was too busy studying it to practice it. <laughs> the word believe comes from the word belive. You only believe what you believe. I remember years ago, I was doing a Bible study in St. Martinville. We had just started the church, and I was preaching about David and how David fell into adultery with Bathsheba. Those of you, many of you know the story. And, and I said, and he walked on the top of his rooftop and he looked down and Bathsheba was bathing. And it says, and she was beautiful to behold. And I said, do you know what that means? Guy raised his hand, the restaurant went in. He goes, oh yeah, I know what that means. I said, what? He said, it means he wanted to behold in her. You don't hold these, they hold you when they become a part of your life as conviction. Strong convictions precede great actions. A belief is something you can hold on to. A conviction is something that holds on to you. Many of you have listened to Dr. James Dobson or read one of his books. How many of you know who I'm talking about? Dr. Dobson Everybody in his family was a preacher and he was a rebel. And so he went to college on a tennis scholarship, which I'll talk about in a bit. And 
and he became a psychologist and ultimately got his doctorate. And then as God changed his heart, he became the most significant individual as a Christian bringing materials on how to raise children and have a godly marriage in all the church for many years. His program's called Focus on the Family. Many of you still listen to it today. But with his background that he grew up in, he always had a rule. The rule is that when his family went on vacation, it didn't matter if it was at the beach or it didn't matter if it was skiing, whatever, on Sunday, they would stay home. And if they couldn't go to church, they would just have church and just share that time as a family time together. They wouldn't go to the beach if they were at the beach and they wouldn't ski. Well, on one particular trip, they arrived in Colorado for a ski trip. And, and when they got there, as soon as they landed, a snowstorm hit. And the storm went on day after day, day after day, day after day. They were to leave on Monday, and on Saturday, there was still snowing with the snowstorm. Sunday morning at the break of dawn, he heard a knock at his door. He heard his daughter's voice. She said, Daddy, 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 you, 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 know, you know, you asked me if I wanted to bring a friend. I brought a friend. And, and Daddy, we, we've been in this condo looking at the beautiful snow. We haven't been able to ski the entire time we've been here. And Daddy, I, I know that we have a rule. And the rule is that, that on Sundays, we just stay right here. And that, and that we, we honor God. And, and we have church ourselves right here. But Daddy, Daddy. The snow stopped, and it's so pretty outside, you can't even believe how pretty it is, Daddy. And Daddy, I brought a friend. Remember you told me I could bring a friend, Daddy? Could we just please this one time? Daddy, please, just this one time, Daddy. Could we just please this one time? Any parent ever been there? Please. So he looked over at Shirley, his wife, and he said, I mean, I guess one time wouldn't hurt anything. And so he said, sure. She ran out through the door open, called to her brother. Get ready. Dad said we could go skiing. We're not even having breakfast. We're just going to go ski. It's gorgeous outside. Everybody starts putting all of their things to on. Everyone gets ready and everyone's at the door ready to go. And he, he looks for his 12 or 13 year old son and he calls for him. He says, hey, we're all, we're, we're all getting ready to go skiing. Are you ready? And he heard a weak voice from his room say, well, I'm, I'm coming. He sat down, all of his ski gear, and he walked into his son's room. And his son had his ski outfit half on, half off. And his head dropped, and, and there were tears streaming down his face. He said, well, son, what's wrong? I thought you'd be excited. I, I, I'm going to let you ski. I've never done this before. And he looked at him, and he said, Daddy, this is the first time I've ever seen you compromise your convictions. Do you have convictions based upon God's word? When pressure comes, preference gives way while convictions hold firm. Gold, silver, and precious stones are convictions. Here's the second thing. Character. Character. God cares more about your character than he does about your church attendance. 
I want you to come to church. I want you to gather with other believers. I want you to be encouraged. But God cares more about your character than he does about your church attendance. What is character? You see, your reputation is who others think you are. Your character is the real you. Your real character is who you are when no one's looking. D.L. Moody said, your character is what a man is in the dark. Your character is who God really knows that you are. Someone said, he is rich or poor according to what he is, not what he has. When you die, you don't take anything with you but your character. Your character. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, the Apostle Paul teaches us something about this. Listen to what he says. God knew that what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him. How many of you love him? Okay, a court along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in line of humanity to be re- that he restored. We see the original intent and shape of our lives there. Where? In him. The English Standard Version says that we are to be conformed into the image of his son. God's plan is that Christ's character is formed in us. Billy Graham said, when wealth is lost, nothing's lost. When health is lost, something's lost. But when character is lost, all is lost. How do we develop character? God uses three things to build our character The first one is his word. Someone said, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. Psalms 119 verse nine says, how can a young man stay pure? Only by living by what? The word of God, in the word of God and walking in its truth. Salvation makes me clean, but the word of God keeps me clean. Jesus said in John 15, three, you are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. God's word lasts forever. So the more of God's word that is built into my character, the more what I do will last forever. My responsibility is to be sure that the word of God becomes flesh inside of me. That it becomes flesh. It's lived out. Here's the second thing God uses to develop character. I don't like it. I'm sure you don't either. Problems and pressures. Come on, say that with me. Problems and pressures. Character is both developed and revealed by test. All of life is a test, Rick Warren says. If you're a Christian, problems always have a purpose. Little problems are like sandpaper. Big problems are like jackhammers. Some of you may change the name of your partner or your teenager to jackhammer. One of the most beautiful sculptures in the world was chiseled out of stone by Michelangelo. Someone asked him, about the psalmist David, David the giant killer, the sculpture that he made. And they said, how did you make David out of that rock? How did you sculpt that? Here's what he said. I just chipped away everything that didn't look like David. You know what God wants to do? Come on. He wants to chip away everything in you and me that doesn't look like Jesus God uses problems to chip away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Here's the third thing, this gold, silver, and precious stones that God uses. He uses these 
heavenly helpers, this heavenly sandpaper, it's called people. Don't look at anybody. Have you ever heard this? When I die to live above with those we love, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, may that's another story. (laughs) You see, if your only connection to our Savior's church is Sunday morning, and you're not in a discipleship relationship, you haven't gone through freedom, you're not in a small group, and you haven't even connected to go to your next step, look at me. Next step is for every single person here that caused this, your church. Hundreds of people serve each week to make every weekend happen so that almost 3,000 people can attend here. When you take your next step, you become a part of that. And God is going to put you in relationships with people. I know, but you go, but pastor, pastor, I know some of the people that are here. They got issues. That's okay. So do you. Someone told me one time, this is a true story. Somebody said, you're the pastor of our Savior's church. I said, yeah. They said, I don't go there. I used to go, but I don't go no more. I said, why? They said, it's too many hypocrites. I looked and smiled and said, well, we got room for one more. (laughs) Hypocrites are people whose faults you remember when you forgot yours. I just got the frissons. <laughs> Come on. Every one of us have relatives we can't introduce. We got to explain. <laughs> Here's my Uncle Fred. Don't get close to him. <laughs> That's my Aunt Clotilde. She got a beard. Don't look up at it. That's just, that's my family. That's kind of what they do. What else is lasting? People are lasting and God used, but relationships are lasting. Relationships are lasting. God's word lasts forever. Godly convictions last forever. Character lasts forever. And relationships are forever. People are forever. Two sisters got invited or invited Jesus over to dinner at their house. One was busy preparing for the meal. The other one enjoyed spending time with Jesus. Luke tells us the story. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into the home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation that he shared. But Martha became exasperated, finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guest. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to to, to do all the work by myself? You, You should tell her to get up and to help me. And the Lord answered and said, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you so upset and and?" By these many distractions, Mary has discovered the one thing that is most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and what? 
I won't take that away from her. Look, look at me. Is it easy to get distracted with everything going on in life? Is it easy to just wake up the next morning? You feel like life's a car that's taken off. It's already going. You got to run and jump in it and your kids and get there and then you got to get to work and then who you got to call and a text message. You got emails. And of course you didn't check Instagram in 30 minutes. So you got to see what's there. And then you have two Snapchats and then that leads to, you know, the Facebook thing, which old people look at only your mom and them use Facebook. So you go there and then you go looking and then you look at me. The God who loves you and gave you breath, he hadn't been talked to yet. The one who has angels preserving and surrounding everything that matters to you, he hasn't even been addressed or honored yet. Can you think of this story later? Jesus is now dead, risen from the dead, appeared for 40 days, gone to heaven. And Mary and Martha are sitting there talking about the time Jesus came over to the house. Man, I remember Mary says exactly when he looked and he said it just like this. And he held his hands just like this when he said how much that he loved us. Martha, what were you doing? Cooking an etouffee? <laughs> now, now listen carefully to what I'm going to say and don't misinterpret it. I mean, Michelle and I are a phenomenal combination. Y'all have no idea the work that she does. Y'all have no idea. We don't have an office. We entertain more people, staff, meetings. All, all, all of it is our home. All of it is our home. She is the master. She is the princess and the maid. She is the entertainer. And I mean, she does it all. So I'm saying that to tell you, she's very clean and I'm very neat. So, so we're a very good combination. As a matter of fact, before we leave the house, if we died, people just sell my house just like it is. Have somebody walk right in. She leaves everything made up. The sheets are ironed and the pillowcases are ironed. Come on, ladies, I'm calling you out. Okay, literally, that's the truth. How many of you leave your house all clean when you leave your house? So that in case a burglar comes in, he thinks well of you. <laughs> but can I tell you this? At the beginning of the year, we asked everyone to spend 15 minutes, five minutes in the word, five minutes in worship, and five minutes in prayer to begin the first 15. Pastor Chris Hodges asked us to do that, and we've continued to ask you to do that. Listen to me. I'd rather that you left your house a mess, but you weren't when you left your house. Anything somebody can do in 15 or 20 minutes is not eternal unless it's asking Jesus into their life. We have to set aside in this second to last message before Dr. Scott comes and closes us out next week on 30 days to live. Listen carefully to me. What are the distractions in your life? What are the distractions in your life? Who are the distractions in your life that you need to set aside so that you see what's eternal, what really matters before you go out throughout your day? Relationships matter. You see, Mary and Martha have the same dilemma we do. I was uh, 
this week, funerals, different things that I do. But when you're with people that are near the end, can I tell you one of the revelations they have? Life will trash your trophies. Life will trash your trophies. Say that with me. What, what, what do you mean by that? The house you live in? 50 years from now, that thing's going to be tore down. Tell me your neighborhood. I know most of the builders. I'll tell you how long the house is going to last. <laughs> car you drive? How many like your car? Come on. How many like your car? Don't lie in church. It's going to be smashed up next to a Kia 15 years from now in a junkyard somewhere. The money you have, it's going to be spent by your children that don't even call you. And by the government, they can't wait for you to take your last breath so they can get their part. You see, the tides of time will wash away the sandcastles and trash your trophies. 1 John 2.15, John tells us this. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. The love of this world squeezes out what? Love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It isolates you from Him. The world in all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does, read it with me, what God wants, what? That's the wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. You say, Pastor, explain that. What do you mean? You know that one day when we, as Christians, all Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus, not the judgment seat of God. Only sinners who've never received Christ and been born again stand before the judgment seat of God. The rest of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we do, all of our works, all of our works are going to be judged by fire. Well, what, what works are going to last? Well, Jesus told us. He said, on that day, they will stand before me and he will say, I was in prison and you visited me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was cold and you clothed me. I was lonely. I lost a mate. I was in a depression in the small group you were in. You greeted me. You hugged me. You paid for me. And we will say, Lord, when were you hungry? And when were you thirsty? And when did we clothe you? And he will say, when you did it to the, the least of these, my children, then you did it, what? You did it for me. Every time we do those things in obedience to the love of Christ, we are storing up treasure in heaven. The Bible says you can't take it with you, but it teaches us you can send it in front of you. <clears throat> Let me close with the final story. Remember I told you about Dr. Dobson? If you have a strong-willed child, read his book, Raising the Strong-Willed Child. His books on marriage and children are phenomenal. He went to college on a tennis scholarship to UCLA. 
the first day I got to college, they walked him in the athletic center and he saw a big glass trophy case. And in that trophy case, all the different trophies from football, basketball, baseball, but right there in the middle was a big trophy that had a name of the best tennis player each year on there. And he stood and he looked at that trophy as a freshman and he said to himself, before I leave UCLA, my name's going to be on that trophy. Matter of fact, he got his name on the trophy not once, but twice. I heard him tell this story publicly. Twice. In life, he goes on, he gets his doctorate, becomes a psychologist, a professional, writes books, best-selling author, influential Christian. He's telling this story in his mid-60s, and he said, two years ago, I got a package in my office, and it was from an old friend that was excited. It was a big box. I went, and I opened up the box, and at the top was a letter, and it said, hey, James, as you know now, I'm still teaching at UCLA, long ways away from the time that we were in school together. The other day, my trash cans were overflowing, and instead of waiting for the janitor, I decided to get all the trash together and take it out to the dumpster myself. And when I got to the dumpster and I was throwing this trash in, I saw the top of this sticking out. So I reached over and I picked it up and looked at it, and it had your name on it twice. So I thought I would refinish it and send it back to you. It doesn't mean much to anybody here, but maybe it'll mean something to you. All the time, all the energy, all the effort. Look at me. When you build on the sand, when you build on wood, hay, and stubble, life will trash your trophies. Pastor, why, why are you sharing this? Look at me. I want to prepare you for that day. My job as your pastor is to take this book and to prepare you for that day when you stand before Jesus. I want you to have sent treasure before you. I want you to have been kind. I want you to have served the poor. I want you to have given to others. I want you to pour yourself into other people. I want you to break pride, poverty, and prejudice. I want you to be God's hope and God's answer filled with convictions and character because they're so rare in the world that we live in. So rare. Isn't that what you want? Would you bow with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that's here. He's here. I thank you that Holy Spirit, you are here. And that every person here is hearing another voice. It's not just mine. It's yours. It's yours. You're speaking to every single individual here and reminding them of character and conviction and of the power of your word. Today, I ask you in the mighty name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. And I want you to just take a moment. We're just going to pause. Just wait 30 seconds. 
And let God speak to your heart right now. If you want character and conviction, I want you to pray this out loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus, make me a person of character. Let your word not just be what I believe, but let it be what I believe. I want to be a person of conviction. That the principles of your word hold my life together. In Jesus' name. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again. Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. And you can't know God until you become spiritually alive. So if today... You've never prayed to be born again. It happens once, just like the day you were born. Then I want to give you an opportunity to do that. How can I do that, Pastor? A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn to him to be born again. I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. I want to know God. I want a relationship with him. I want to discover his purpose for my life. Would you pray for me? I've never been born again. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand right where you are. I'm the only one looking, and I'm going to pray for you right where you are. One, God brought you here. He brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Nothing. Not even the things that have happened in your life the last few days. God was working through those. He's the one that brought you here. And now is your time to come to know him, to surrender to him, to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. High. One, two, keep it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. Okay, twenty-four. Put your hands down. Last ten seconds, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand with these twenty-four, but I should have. I know God's talking to me. I know it's God. I've got to change. I've got to surrender to Him. God's been chasing me. I want to stop running. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Raise it and wave it at me right now. And join these 28, 29. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? All right. Yes, sir. Now, church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross... You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame. 
and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.